Hey everybody, about nine years ago, I almost died. I actually came very, very close to dying. And clearly, I did not. But I did not because of wonderful friends who were there for me, who discovered me and took me to the emergency room to get emergency treatment. I remember the doctors saying that if they had not brought me in when they did, that I would definitely have died. I had septicemia. I'll tell you more about it after we get done with the advertisement portion of this podcast. So here it goes, and I'll meet you on the other side of the advert. Elevators in 25-story buildings do go out occasionally. And occasionally, we wait until they're operational again so that we can ride up in the elevator because God created elevators so we didn't have to walk upstairs. I guess I missed the point that day and I decided that I wasn't going to wait for the elevator to be fixed. I was going to walk up the stairs. When you think about it, when you're walking up the stairs, because I lived in 2201, that I'm actually walking up 44. Floors of stairs. Up one turn the corner, up another, that's one floor. It was fine, you know what, I was actually proud of myself when I made it to the top and I wasn't winded and I made it without having to wait for the elevator. I got up there, I went into my apartment, I did my business, never gave it another thought until the next day or so that I felt sore. And as the days went on, I felt more sore and more sore. Until the days went on when not only did I feel way sore, but my leg was starting to swell. I was in so much pain. It was hard for me to put my clothes on. However, I maintained, I went on about my business. I needed to, I needed to go to work. I needed to go to my internship. I needed to go visit my parents. I remember when I went to visit my mother and she saw what pain I was in. She said, you need to go to a doctor. And my response was, why do I need to go to a doctor? I pulled a muscle. There's nothing that they can do about it. So I didn't do anything. In retrospect, 
I'm here to tell you, listen to your mother. They've been around the block so much more than we have that, especially my mother was a nurse. So I've learned to listen to her because on many of occasions, uh, as an example, my Lulu, my dog, had diabetes diagnosed about seven months ago. I never would have realized that. My mother was the one who caught on that Lulu was drinking water excessively and was peeing excessively. And when I did my initial Google search of it, wow, that's exactly the symptoms of a dog with diabetes. So I took her in, it came back, she was diagnosed with diabetes. And like I always say, that's another story for another podcast, because I really do think that it is important for me to talk about and for all of you who are listening with fur babies to understand what it's like to hear that your baby has diabetes or any kind of illness for that matter. Psychologically speaking, I'll talk on that later, but I'm going to go back to me almost dying because, of course, this podcast is all about me. I've lived to tell, and I'm telling. So my life went on, and I continued to go to work. I continued to go to my internship. And what's interesting is that people were telling me that it looked like I was losing weight, and I would deny it and say, no, I'm not losing weight. I'm still fitting into the same clothes, and you must be imagining things. But I was feeling strangely. I couldn't make it through the full day at my internship. I was calling in to work sick more often. And this was, was becoming my daily routine. Until one day, and I have vague recollections of two people looking over at me, over onto me, actually, while I'm lying down, as I learned, in my bed. And it was Kathy, and it was Jeff. Again, I don't remember how they actually discovered me. Although I asked Kathy recently... And if I remember correctly, she said that I had made a phone call or there was an abrupt end to a phone call or whatever. Thankfully, they had the keys to get into my apartment. They found me. They made me go to the emergency room at Kaiser. One recollection that I had was when they, they were forcing me to get out of the bed and forcing me to go to the emergency room. I was trying to put my pants on and I was in such excruciating pain. 
in my one leg that I thought it's going to be impossible for me to put these things on, but I did. The next thing I remember, I was lying on a bed, for lack of a better way to put it. It's not like your bed in a hotel or something like that, but it's whatever they call a bed in an emergency room. And everybody's looking over me. The doctors are looking over me. The nurses are looking over me. Kathy is there looking over me. Jeff is there looking over me. And that's when they told me that I had septicemia and that I was going to need to be taken into surgery. And that's the point when I heard that they told Kathy and Jeff that if they had not brought me in that I would be dead. I've since done a lot of research on septicemia and I've realized, yeah, I really did come extremely close to not living to tell, for lack of a better way to put it. So the next thing I remember, I was waking up in this room. It was the emergency room again. And they told me, again, the doctors are standing over me. I don't remember whether Kathy or Jeff were there again, but I remember hearing the doctor telling me that they had taken the amount of three Coca-Cola cans of poison out of my leg. That kind of does put it into perspective. I thought to myself, okay, you got it out. I'm dandy now, let's move on. Until they told me, we are going to need to keep you. They didn't say the hospital. They said, we are going to put you in a facility for a month so that we can give you intravenous drugs or medications to fight the septicemia. And my first reaction was, what? I'm going to be out of commission for a month? I had to think about it. Okay, what about work? What about my apartment? What about my cat? What about the bars? What about me going out? What about me being popular? What about me living my life in all aspects of me living my life? It was all going to be put on hold for a month while I recuperated in a facility. Oh, it gets better. A facility was not what I expected a facility to be. The bottom line was the facility was an old people's home. The ambulance, it's still a trigger for me. I remember 
waking up in a room full of beds, full of beds. Thinking about it now, I realize that I woke up in some semblance of a delusional state because of the medication or whatever I had been given due to the surgery and the pain and everything else that goes along with it. But I equate the experience to, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Gone with the Wind, but when Scarlet walks out onto the battlefield with all the dying and dead soldiers, hundreds of thousands. That's the way I envision myself in this room they put me in after surgery. To this day, I don't know. Was it a room with me all alone? Or was it a room with hundreds of thousands of soldiers dying and dead? I would probably settle on the ladder. But I woke up and then I remember my bed was at the front of the room. And a nurse came up to me and handed me this bit of equipment. She showed me how to assemble it. She showed me how to disassemble it. And then she asked me to do the same. And she told me that if I were able to do as she showed, then I would be able to go home and administer the drugs that I needed to administer intravenously to myself. Even to this day, I can't even fathom what that would be like at home. However, she gave it to me, I tried. Remember, I was still recuperating from surgery, pain, and the medications or drugs that they had administered, and I couldn't do it, clearly. And what I remember clearly is that she told me that because I wasn't smart enough to do it, then I was going to be sent to a rehabilitation center. And what I remember is smart enough. Bitch, I just got my master's degree. I don't know where she was coming from. I don't even remember all the details. But what I remember is I was going to a rehab facility. The next thing I remember, I was boarding an ambulance. My brother had come from San Diego to the Bay Area to be with me. 
And I tell you, I was grateful then, and to this day I'm grateful that he was there to travel with me to the rehab center because I was thinking that if I didn't have the emotional support of someone from my family who cared about me, I don't know how I would have made it. We arrived at the facility. We checked in. I was brought to my bed. This was in the middle of the night, like in the early morning. So it was dark outside and I had really no idea of what was going on, where I was going. I just knew that I was being transported into this facility. I was cold. As Janet would say in the Rocky Horror Picture Show or the Rocky Horror Show, I was cold, I was scared. And I was. And they put me in the bed. And it wasn't until the next day that I realized I'm in an old folks home. I was the youngest out of so many patients there, 80s, 90s, in comas, near death, without a family. And here I was in my little bed, wondering what the fuck is going on. And I can tell you, that's when the depression set in. Depression is a real thing and I felt it. At that time, I felt helpless. I felt hopeless. And if I never hear Dancing Queen by ABBA again, it will be too soon. That was the music that they used to get the clientele out of their beds to go and do some semblance of aerobics. And they tried to get me out of my bed to do it, and there was no way in hell. I was in pain. I was under, it seemed like, so many layers of blankets because I was freezing all the time come to find out later that I needed transfusions because I had lost blood. And I remember finding it so difficult to the point where I laid in bed and I tried so hard to make the feelings of wanting to go to the bathroom one and two go away. I didn't want to exert the energy to have to get out from under the many layers of blankets into the cold, manipulate and maneuver my walker while my leg was in tremendous pain and I was feeling weak to go to the bathroom. And then, after I went to the bathroom, 
I had to go through the same exact thing again in reverse. It was... I don't know how to describe it. It was just something that was so simple in certain terms, but was so difficult because of the reality that I was in. I developed fevers. And what I learned was being in a nursing home because that's what it was, is that they're not equipped to deal with patients who develop fevers. So I had to be transported back to Kaiser Hospital. So I was wheeled out to the loading dock, put into an ambulance. Boy, to this day, I, wow, ambulances, are triggers for me. That's what prompted me to start this whole conversation is because I was watching a television show where an ambulance was involved. So I thought, let me just get hot on this Live to Tell podcast and talk about the trigger. But I'm here to tell you that it freaked me out and it happened like three different times. They would load me into the ambulance. They would bring me to Kaiser. I would lie on the bed in the emergency room, waiting room, for like an hour or so for somebody to come in and take care of me. And when they would eventually come in and take care of me, my fever was down. I seemed to be fine. They'd load me back up and put me in an ambulance and, and bring me back to the home. After like three times of doing that, they finally decided to admit me into Kaiser. You know, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. It at least made my stay for the remainder of the three weeks that I needed to be in the hospital receiving my intravenous injections for the trauma that I had experienced with the septicemia. At least it made it palatable until the delusions kicked in because of the fevers and the need to take Tylenol or some semblance of pain medication to reduce the fevers. An Asian alien nurse poking me, 
prodding me, getting me ready to take up to the mothership. It was terrifying lying there and not realizing or not knowing what to do. That's the way I felt lying in the hospital bed in the middle of the night when the fever hit. I was on medication that was extremely potent to fight the sepsis. And they instructed me that if I developed a fever that I would need to take Tylenol or ibuprofen. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I was okay with that until I realized that for some reason there was a reaction between the potent medication they were giving me and the ibuprofen or Tylenol that they were giving me when I got a fever. And I hated it because it caused delusions, literal delusions. So I tried to keep the fact that I had a fever to myself, but the nurses would come in and they would check me periodically through the night, take my temperature, make me pee into a container, because after all, you have to prove that you can pee or they come in and they insert a catheter. I didn't need that. So I needed to drink my water so I could pee. And I was okay with that. They threatened me every once in a while with, if you don't pee, we're going to have to call the doctor in and this is what's going to happen. So I drank my water and I peed. But when they came in and they took my temperature and decided that I had a bit of a fever, a bit of a fever, they decided that I was to take the ibuprofen or Tylenol. Maybe they're the same. I don't know. Maybe I'll just call it Tylenol. So for lack of a better way to have to not say so many words. And after a couple of times, I realized I don't want to take this Tylenol because it creates these delusions. They wouldn't believe me. They made me take it because again, they said, if I don't take the Tylenol and the increase in temperature goes on the charts, then the doctor is going to come in and God only knows what the doctor is going to make me do. At that point, lying in the bed after going through all that I had been through, I could have easily just said, okay, bring him on or bring her on. What more can be done to me? I had been defeated that much, but I acquiesced. I took the Tylenol and sure enough, later in the evening, I could hear It was so strange. I was in my own hospital room at this time in Kaiser, 
because I had had these temperature spikes regularly that they needed me to be in the hospital. Thank God for that. And I was in a private room and the nurses were wonderful. And I was in a room where the door was closed, but for some reason I could hear all these medical students having a party, drinking. They were outside on the front porch, drinking and being loud and just having fun. And I was lying in bed wondering, I feel like I'm in in a bedroom in the middle of a fraternity. And yet, how could that be when I was in a hospital? Likewise, I'd get these visits from these Asian alien nurses who would be probing me and doing I didn't have any idea what they were doing but they were bringing me up into the ship and that's where they were probing me I was no longer in Kaiser I was up in the spaceship and they were doing all these experiments on me until they finally got done doing the experiments on me and then I got back down into my bed at the Kaiser Hospital. Waking up the next morning, that's exactly what I remembered. Was I going crazy? Again, I was so beaten down that I didn't care if I was going crazy. I was in so much pain. I was being tended to so much I had to get out of the bed so often but I was hooked up to the um, intravenous um, injections I was a prisoner to the bed and the tubes and the pipes that were sticking out of me periodically through the day I didn't care if aliens came and took me away and did what they wanted to do I didn't care whether there were frat boys and sorority girls out in the hallway and out on the front porch partying and all that. It didn't make any difference to me. All I wanted to do was be gone from that hospital. And I'll tell you, that Stockholm Syndrome kind of concept does take a hold the Stockholm Syndrome is where the person who's captive begins to come around to the mental manipulation of their captor and I've dealt with a couple clients that have had Stockholm Syndrome but I truly do believe that I suffer from Stockholm Syndrome close to the end of my stay at the hospital because I was only supposed to stay in the hospital for a month. And again, I say, thank goodness they moved me from the old folks home into the hospital. But when it came time and they were talking about releasing me, 
from the hospital. I panicked. What am I going to do? I'm so used to the environment of my quote-unquote captors that I didn't know that I would be able to or how to exist outside of the hospital. So I tried to get them to let me stay a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And so it was okay if I got a fever. Yay, I got a fever this time. So they have to keep me a little bit longer. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, they had let me stay there a week longer because I really didn't have anybody to go home to. Um, Ultimately, well, well, Kathy was on a leave taking care of a friend of hers who had fallen ill and she would be home in a week. So they at least recognized that, okay, I would have somebody, my neighbor, my close friend who would be there. And so they let me stay another week. But lo and behold, on that day when I was supposed to be considered for release, my temperature was normal. All signs were a go, and they decided that they were going to release me. And they did. And they brought me down to the pickup place in front of the hospital. And I remember they put me in a van. And the van took me back to my condo. And I walked through the front doors. And I felt like a war veteran. A prisoner of war who had just been released. I went into the hospital. Well, I went into the old folks home and then to the hospital. I don't know why I keep saying that, but the old folks home was a trauma for me. I really do have to say so. But I went in at around 145 pounds and was walking back into my condo lobby at around 115 pounds. I was unrecognizable. I could hardly walk because I was still recovering from the leg and the knee and the surgery and everything. And all I wanted to do was just get up into my condo. And I did. More to come. And you know, I did make it up to my condo. And you know, I didn't take the stairs. I got into my condo and had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to take care of myself. I couldn't walk. I needed a walker. And I don't know how many of you have tried to walk with a walker. And being about 115 pounds down from 145, having absolutely no strength. It was, for lack of a better way to put it, horrible. And then come to find out that Kathy, bless her soul, 
had another friend who fell. I believe she fell through glass or something and really injured herself and needed Kathy's help. And I really do understand that Kathy needed to go to her and take care of her. And with my blessings, I totally understood. So what was kind of neat is Kathy, I had to take certain medications um, while I was at home recuperating and Kathy bought me a pill box, I remember. And, and even to this day, I have it. It was labeled AM and PM. And she put, put the medication in there and helped me with all that. But taking care of me and taking care of her friend was just too much. Her friend lived so far away that the drive to get to her friend and then the drive to get home and then to take care of me was way too much. Okay, I'm belaboring, belaboring that point, but you understand that I totally understood. And so I was more or less left on my own. The first thing that I wanted to do was to take a shower. So I tried to get myself and my walker into the stand-up shower. I managed to do that, but it was kind of difficult when I couldn't hold up my own weight to hold on to the walker and wash my hair at the same time. Somehow I managed, and what I remember was that I washed my hair and a lot of my hair fell out. What I remember was I washed my body and a good lot of my hair fell out. It freaked me out. I had no idea. The next day I called my doctor because I remember when I was in the hospital, um, one of the things that they needed to do was to give me a mild version of a chemo drug to help with the infection. So the only thing I could think of was, okay, I understand when people are going through chemo, they do lose their hair. So I thought that had something to do with it. But interesting fact, what I found out was is that when the body goes through a shock, which of course I certainly did, the body shuts down so it can reserve all of its vital functions to the vital functions and fingernails and hair and other such things get shut down. So if they're not being tended to, so to speak, then they just fall out or stop growing or something like that. I didn't realize that. Eventually, you know what I was able to, the hair did grow back on certain parts of my body, my head, and the you-know-wheres and all that stuff, but um, it really, <laughs> I, I, I can't express this enough, it, it just didn't seem important to me at the time. Having such a close death experience, these kinds of things, you know, what else can you do to me? What else? So eventually what I decided to do after my parents, well, Kathy suggested it, I think, first. And then I talked to my parents about it. They lived in Riverside. 
And Kathy had suggested, why don't I just go and live with my parents for a couple of months and recuperate there? And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I don't know if I can go back into the family home with my parents, but what was the alternative? To try to maintain for myself, which was already proving to be something I wasn't able to do. So I decided to do it. I got my plane ticket. Kathy took me to the airport. I would, she put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me into the airport as far as she could go. And then they took me from there. I sat like this pathetic thing, this pathetic little, what, what's the word that I want to use? Um, shell of a person, if you will, and just waited to be boarded. The only thing that I can say was the benefit is that I was in a wheelchair and I was emaciated and people looked at me like, let's get him on the plane first because he needs to have the healthy priority boarding. I guess that worked for me. That was fine. They got me on the plane. I flew to Riverside my parents met me at the airport and I could see in their eyes that they kind of didn't recognize me but they made no big deal about it they got me in the car they brought me home I felt so comfortable being in my parents home and I'm the type of person who does put some semblance of stock in how we look or how I look anyway because I go to the gym, I exercise, all that fell away when I was in the old folks' home and in the hospital recovering. And so, a bit, I was a bit embarrassed to go out in public looking the way that I did. And it sort of put me in a, into a little bit of depression. But one of the most important lessons I learned from that was it's not all about looks far from it my parents would take me out to breakfast in the morning because they would go out to breakfast at the the same place and they had their friends who were servers and and they knew each other and so they brought me in and introduced me and these servers knew didn't know me from anybody so they didn't realize kind of sort of except for the fact that I was using a walker to come inside. But still, people use walkers all the time and whatever, so they weren't, weren't looking for anything out of the ordinary. But the major thing that I found out was, as I was sitting there having my breakfast and conversing with my parents and conversing with the server and maybe the owner of the place, I was conversing. I was making them laugh. We were having a wonderful conversation. And it had nothing to do with anybody's looks. It had to do with something that I did not realize or give myself credit for something that I didn't realize I had. And that was the ability to communicate, the ability to be compassionate, the ability to resonate with other people and have them resonate with me. It was a beautiful recognition. 
And that's where I started becoming more informed of how I was going to continue my life. Yes, the looks um, and the external were important. But I wrote a meme um, for my new book that's coming out on Kindle soon. If you're okay with the internal, then the external is secondary. And that's what I've been trying to live by ever since. Another great thing that I learned from being with my parents for the two months during recuperation was the creation of the bond. It was a wonderful bond that we had. I don't know if you know this, but I was, prior to me getting sick, I had, was already starting to make plans to retire early from the University of California. I don't know if I talked about this in one of the podcasts, but I started working there when I was 17 years old. And so, yes, one day you wake up and you realize that you're older than you ever intended to be, which in my case was older, but it wasn't old, old, like Vicky, who's my oldest, oldest friend. And she and I joke about that. So when she hears that, she'll probably laugh and then she'll scold me on direct message. But anyway, I'm just joking. But you know what I mean? I woke up one day and realized, okay, I am older than I ever intended to be. And I've worked for the University of California for a buttload of years. So why don't I, because I'm getting tired of this kind of rat race. Not that I didn't love my job. I didn't love the dynamic of the micromanaging and and everything else that was going along with it. Why not retire? Because guess what? I have my master's degree in psychology. Let me go into my second career of psychotherapist, which is what I ultimately planned to do. But what I didn't plan was to get sick. And what I didn't plan on was using two months of my sick time that I otherwise would have been paid out for had I just let the normal course of action go until my birthday on December 1st. But then you say, we have to look at the glass half full. And thank goodness I had enough sick time for me to be in the hospital and to take two months of recuperation time. And make no mistake, during that recuperation time, probably maybe half a month into it, I was already working from home again. My boss was trying to tell me that I shouldn't be doing it, but I needed something to stimulate my mind. And so I did continue to work. I did continue to negotiate remotely. It's funny because my boss never would allow me to work remotely. She didn't like that. She needed to see that we were right there as dutiful little soldiers working at our desks and would often come and say, it's been noticed that you came in late today or it's been noticed that you didn't come in today. Well, who the hell was noticing me? She was the only one noticing me because she felt that if she came in, then everybody else should come in. Wow, can you see how I go off on so many tangents? But you know what my tangents are, a wild ride 
And since we can't go to Disneyland, then I think we need all the wild rides we can get here. So anyway, back to the recuperation at my family's house. I did regain my strength and I did put on weight and I did get back to some semblance of me before, physically speaking. But as far as mentally speaking, I gained so much more, so much more. And it's the mind-body connection. Here's my psychological part of it. That really makes the difference in our lives. When we have that mind-body connection, we feel whole. When one part is off, we don't feel quite there. And I think that's what I was feeling with the body connection of being emaciated looking. It's sort of messed with the mind component. But when I was able to reconcile and bring them back into harmony was when I was able to feel like myself. Myself 2.0 in a different body, but with a much healthier mindset. As I've said before, and I will definitely say it many more times, oftentimes the worst things that we think could happen to us in life can turn out to be one of the best things that have happened to us in life if we take the opportunity to learn and internalize the experience and the lessons acquired from that experience. It's all about growth. I've lived to tell and I will tell you more next time.